0: and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would cause these words to ring true in our own lives, that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ would be given to us, that you'd work amongst us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, convict us of sin. And turn us into the paths of righteousness we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. One of the poignant memories I have of my dad growing up was this moment when we were outside and it was my dad there and he was working in the yard building an above ground swimming pool and I was playing in the sand with a friend of mine, Chris Cox was his name. And As Chris and I were playing in the sand, Dad was putting up the walls of the swimming pool, and he was laying the foundation of that swimming pool. And he would say to me, Brian, I need you to bring me another bucket full of sand. And, well, I said, as many children do, just a minute, Dad. Well, Chris got up, and he took my dad the bucket of sand, and my dad said nothing about it. So this seemed to work out. My dad would call out, Brian, bring me a bucket of sand, and Chris would take... The bucket of sand and my dad was doing a remarkable job at restraining his his anger against me i thought everything was going well for me dad was giving commands and chris was fulfilling them in my behalf this is a gospel picture isn't it so we got to the end of the day dad had gone inside the pool was filling up with water everything seemed like it was going well And I walked into the screened in porch, and there was my dad sitting down in a rocking chair. He said, Brian, come here. And I sat down, and he said, Do you remember me asking you to bring me those buckets of sand? Yes, I do. You heard my words? I did hear your words. He said, Why didn't you bring me the sand? Well, Chris brought you the sand, Dad. I asked you to bring me the sand. He says, "You have one option. Do you want a spanking before dinner or after dinner?" <laughs> I had one bit of wisdom. I took the spanking before dinner. You might as well go ahead and get it out of the way, right? Well one of the things that this illustrates is I heard all of my dad's commands. I heard them very well. I acknowledged the commands. I acknowledged that the command ought to be obeyed, that it was a good command, and yet Chris did it. And I was punished. Because even though I heard the command, I failed to obey it. Today, all across the country, people are going to read the word. They're going to hear the word preached. Probably the majority of those who hear those sermons are going to go out the back doors of the sanctuary, happy and rejoicing and forgetting everything they heard. Christ, in our sermon this morning and in this text, he distinguishes between those who hear his words and those who do them. He reminds us that those who do his words are those who will be blessed in the end. This is the wise man who builds upon the rock. But what he teaches us from the text is very simple. Wise men hear Christ's word, they obey Christ's word, and although they will suffer testing and judgment, it will not destroy them. Wise men, hear and obey Christ's word. And although they will suffer, suffer uh, uh, experience suffering and judgment, it will not destroy them in the end. We're coming to the end of Christ's sermon here. And as any good minister, he's, he's making some very poignant uh, points of application. He makes four warnings. Why do you think that might be? Well, because all around him are gathered a people. You can see them in your mind's eye, can't you? Children and women and men, they've all gathered. Maybe they followed Him for a little bit of time. And in the immediate circle, there are all of the uh, the, the disciples that He's gathered to Himself at that moment. And, and Jesus has sat down. And, and so you kind of see the people leaning over, trying to listen well. Maybe the nursing mother quieting her baby there so that she can hear the words of Christ. Everybody is straining to listen in that moment. And Jesus is saying. to these people who don't have a good history of putting into practice God's word, telling them it is not enough to hear. You must do. The apostle or or the teacher James rings in our ears, doesn't he? It's not the the, uh, uh, readers of God's word who are blessed. It's those who do them. So Jesus issues issues these last four warnings. Remember the first one? Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. Because life is going to look deceptive to you. The easy path is going to be the one that leads to destruction. The hard path is the one that leads to life. The second warning. Beware of false teachers. Not out there. Yes, out there. But not mainly out there. There are men, and in our day women who will fill pulpits and they will look very wise and they will sound very profound, but they will lead you astray. And in the end, they will be cut down like so many trees and tossed into the fire for destruction. The third warning, realize that some who profess faith in this life will be damned in the next life. And then finally, Jesus warns you, if you are listening, if you are listening and hearing my word, you can tell because you're going to go away from here and your life is going to be changed. Certain things about your life are going to change. You're going to do some things differently. Maybe, maybe you're an angry fellow and you've just heard me say that uh, you should not sin in your anger Maybe you're giving your heart over to lust. Maybe you're the guy that's saying, Willis, well, or, the, or the woman who's saying, Look, I never have, have committed adultery. I've never fornicated with another person. But Jesus says to you, Guard your heart. Uh, fornication begins in the heart. And Maybe you're the person, person who's given over to overwhelming episodes of anxiety, and you've heard the Lord say to you, Stop being anxious. Or you're the judge. You're the judge of everybody. And you look at yourself up here on this plateau of righteousness and everybody else is below you. And you've heard Jesus say, stop judging. Get the log out of your own eye. And some of those people standing here will hear all of these words and they're going to walk away and they're going to judge and they're going to be anxious and they're going to hate and they're going to have lustful hearts and they're not going to work against any of those things. And they're going to think, because I'm a Jew, I'm okay. Okay. Jesus says you are deceiving yourself. Uh, Jesus in this parable shows us that all men, every single man is a builder of sorts. Now Solomon might not have chosen you to go in and put the uh, elements of the temple together, but you are building. Your life is a building project. Some men build with blueprints. So you get furniture from Ikea and you're the one who follows every instruction and you do it from start to finish and you get it all put together and it still falls apart some of you build with blueprints others build using your imagination and I ask you if you were given a choice to build a house built with blueprints or a house built with someone's imagination which would you buy this morning Christ uses this illustration to distinguish the wise man and the foolish man And the first thing that he teaches us is that wise men hear and obey his word in verses 24 and in verse 26. Jesus is going to do this a lot. He uses parables to teach lessons. And one of the things that we're going to learn a little bit later on is that Jesus is not necessarily using these parables to help people understand the point. Uh, But here, he uses this parable to distinguish between the wise man and the foolish man. Now, if you've given any time to reading the scriptures, you will know that that this is an illustration we encounter all the time. As little children, you memorize Psalm chapter 1, don't you? And the, the wise man is the one who meditates on God's word. If you read through the Proverbs, you read many things about wise men and foolish men, don't you? Um, The wise man uh, is also a righteous man, biblically. And the foolish man is a wicked man. Those phrases, those terms are used interchangeably in the Proverbs. So for instance, we read in Proverbs 11.10 that uh, the city rejoices when it goes well with the righteous. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. We use those same terms to refer to the wise and the foolish. So the wise man is a righteous man. And the foolish man is a wicked man. These are interchangeable. The wise man and the foolish man both hear Christ's word. Do you notice that? The wise man and the foolish man both hear. So this is not an issue of having access to Christ's word. It's not an issue of not hearing. Both of these men have heard the word of Christ... And again, we think of this surrounding crowd. Men, women, and children there. The, the word is being cast. It's being spread abroad. And the Scots seed caster or fertilizer caster, uh, there it goes. You can see it go out. And the ears are receptive to it. But hearing is not sufficient to make one wise. You think about a father with his son. A father who takes the time out of his day, maybe one of the hard things about parenting is teaching your kids how to do things that you know how to do very well. Putting dishes in the dishwasher. Well, what, how do I put the dishes in the dishwasher, Dad? Just follow the schematic, right? You have to take the time, and you slow down, and you show them, here's how the plates go, here's how the forks go, put the knives facing down, okay, for safety's sake. And, and it's irritating, but, but you have to show them how to do it. This is the plaintive voice of the writer of the Proverbs calling out to his son, saying, "Think, hear, O sons, in Proverbs 4, 1 and 2, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. And this is what he says, do not forsake my teaching. In other words, don't forget what I'm telling you. Practice this in your life. I'm teaching you these things so that you can do them. And Jesus here is, for, is performing the function of a faithful prophet. He is teaching you so that you will take his words and do them. I read a, a fascinating book several years ago by a, a, a man by the name of John Milton Gregory, and he's talking about how, how to teach, how to be a good teacher. And he said something in there that, that, that struck me that I'd never thought about before. You might think of yourself as a good teacher if you use good illustrations, or if you tell a corny joke from time to time, and people laugh, and you, you walk out of the classroom, and everybody had a, had a beaming face, and they've listened to what you said. But John Milton Gregory, he was a public educator for a long time. He said this, He said, teaching does not take place until learning does. Christ has not taught you anything until you have learned it and put it into practice in your life. The wise man and the builder both here. I'm sorry, the wise man and the fool, they both hear. But we see another thing that's similar between them. The wise man and the foolish man are both builders, aren't they? They're they're both men who are engaged in the practice of building something, and they both probably think that they're very successful at what they're doing. But the distinction between the wise man and the fool is what? It's what they have built upon. What they have built upon the wise man builds upon the rock and you know what this is you go to Matthew chapter 16 and that's where Peter makes his great profession of faith you are the Christ and Jesus responded to him by saying I tell you you are Peter flesh and blood have not revealed this to you and I will build my church what upon the rock Jesus and his teaching form the foundation of the body of Christ. The very foundation, do you see? The foundation of the wise man is Christ and his teaching. This is the picture of a man who takes Christ's words and he does something with them. He is building upon Christ. In other words, this is the orientation of my whole life. This is the north star by which I sail my ship. The whole way that I see and interpret life is through Christ and his word. It's not a side reference for me. I'm building upon Christ. But notice what the fool builds upon. He builds upon the sand. Now Jesus here is referring to a specific type of sand. It's sea sand. And I was watching a detective show several uh, some time ago. And there, it was a, uh, the case was about a building. It was a, a building project. And the people were, who were living in it began to notice cracks in the building. And gradually it was crumbling and the building fell down. And so they were trying to figure out who was responsible for all this, and it was eventually discovered that the builders who put that building together had used sea sand to build. You know what the problem with sea sand is? The salt, and the salt corrodes the whole structure. This is not the sand that you mix with, with uh, your cement Sea sand corrodes the whole structure, and Jesus is using this type of sand to teach you that if you are building upon anything other than Christ and His teaching, if you're following any other Instagram influencer, if you're listening to them and not comparing those words to what He has taught you in His word, you're a fool. And your building will crumble. Never taken the time to compare your goals and your ambition to God's Word. This is the man who never considered that Christianity is not just about getting saved. Christianity is an entire world view. What, what does the wise man do? He ruminates upon God's Word, Psalm 1. That meditation, is saying it to himself over and over and over again. I want, I want my brain to be so filled up with the Word of Christ that there's no distinction between the brain of Christ and the brain of Brian. I want to think the way Jesus does so that everything I do in my life pleases Him. If we connect this to the broad road parable, remember that one? We talked about a few weeks ago and the teaching immediately preceding this, that not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, we come to understand that many in the church have made a profession of faith but are still on the broad road. Why are they on the broad road? Because the profession of faith is all they have. It's never joined to a change of life. There's no evidence that the the Spirit of God birthed that profession of faith in them. There's there's nothing joined to it. There's no fruit. They do nothing with Christ's Word. There's no concern, no thought. Is is what I'm doing, is this choice that I'm making pleasing to God? Is Is this thought that I have pleasing to God? Their lives are not being changed by Christ. Consider how Israel listened to Ezekiel. You remember Ezekiel, the faithful prophet who who did some weird things in his life. He built a wall and he laid down and he plucked out his hair and he burned some and threw some in the wind and all of this. Ezekiel 33, verses 30 to 33. Listen to these words. As for you, son of man... Your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, listen to what they say, each to his brother, come, hear, hear what the word is that comes from the Lord, come and listen, come come to church. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. when this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. You see the picture that God is making for Ezekiel? Listening to a sermon is about like listening to a fine cellist sit here and play a song. It's a spectacle. Something to observe and take in and enjoy. Uh, The people of Israel, they invited their friends to his preaching. They enjoyed his words. Maybe they even congratulated him on the way out saying, fine preaching, Ezekiel. But most went away quickly forgot what they heard. But the Lord said of them, they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And as Israel proved, this is a recipe for disaster. Wise men and foolish men will hear Christ's word, but only the wise men will do His word. We see secondly, wise men will suffer testing and judgment. Wise men and foolish men will endure testing and judgment. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 7 verse 25, the first part there. What does Jesus say in his parable? And the rain fell and the floods came. Literally the river rose. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Both the wise man and the foolish men, their houses probably are located in a similar place and The rains come down, the river rises, there's a floodplain there, but one man's house stands and one doesn't. Some look at this and they're taking the rain and the floods and the wind and they're saying this refers to the testing of life. Now, this is a a bad diagnosis. This is when your spouse comes to you and says, I don't love you anymore and I'm gonna go my own way. This is the testing of life, the hard times of life. And they're saying, look, some men, the structure that you've been building your foundation is going to be proved by the way that you respond to testing. And that there, there's some truth in that. You're going to learn whether your philosophy of life stands when hardship comes to your home. Are you able to endure it with your faith intact? Or does your faith fall apart? Think of the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. I tend to think that this is actually referring to the final judgment. Notice again with me the context. What, in each of these final warnings, what has Jesus said? A day is coming. Some are going to be cut down and cast into the fire. Some are on the broad road that leads where? To destruction. This is the end of their life. They're going to come to destruction. Some are cut down at the end of uh, uh, verses 21 to 23. That warning comes, I'm going to say to you, depart from me for I never knew you. All of these refer to final judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. And I believe that's what's to be preferred here, to uh, to be consistent with all that Jesus said. That Scripture teaches us that all men, along with wicked angels are going to face the scrutiny of Christ's judgment. We just sung about this a moment ago in our hymn. Christ is seated on his throne, and he will be a judge. And in some places, it is called that day, or the day of judgment. In Matthew eleven twenty two, we have this. Paul refers to it in Romans 25, the day of judgment. A single day, in that day, What we learn from Scripture is that all sins will be publicized. And Christ will separate the righteous from the wicked. Christ here describes the nature of the judgment similarly for both the wise man and the fool. Do you notice it? For the wise man and the fool, there's rain. For the wise man and the fool, there are floods, the rising river. For the wise man and the fool, there is wind that beats against the walls of the house. The only difference between them is the effect of that judgment. One is lost, and one stands. Throughout these warnings, Christ has instructed you to maintain an eternal focus, do you see? So many times we're tempted just to think about what's burning in the crock pot at home, right? I, I, I think about the next big test. How am I gonna meet the budget for the next few weeks? And we only think one step ahead But Christ is teaching you to have true discernment. And what does that look like? True discernment means you are thinking about eternity, that your eyes are focused on the day to come. So, uh, as a student, you can't start thinking about exam day on the day before exams. It is not healthy to stay up for 24 hours in a row writing a paper. As a doctor, you don't think about what kind of surgery you're going to do the day before. You sit down and you evaluate an MRI, don't you? And you think beforehand what you're going to do. Christ is teaching you right now to stop and think about this day of judgment. Have you thought about it? Are you thinking about it? If you think about it on the last day, it's too late. Christ is warning you to think about the day of judgment right now and to realize that there is nothing in this life that should take a priority over understanding where you stand with Christ. And he's told you, how how do I know? Well, are you hearing and doing Wise men hear the word of Christ and they do the word of Christ. Wise men will, will suffer judgment in this life. We'll go through trials and the final judgment. And then thirdly, lastly, you know, Jesus shows us that wise men will not be destroyed in Christ's judgment. E- even though this is a warning, don't you see that there's mixed in here a thread of hope for all of you who are looking to Christ now. There's a thread of hope. It's not the will of Christ that these people would go away from here, just dour, say, well, "Well,, who can be saved? Who, who can under, go through the judgment?" He wants for you comfort, assurance, confidence. That you go away proving your election sure. He wants you to be assured. He wants you confidently to enter in through uh, the veil of His flesh. To go into the presence of God. Knowing that you will be accepted. He wants you to be assured of your final standing. So He says this to you. Wise men will not be destroyed in Christ's judgment. And what Jesus is saying is that the man or the woman whose religion only consists of a profession of faith is like the man whose house is built on the sand. You see, this would have been true for Israel as well. You you see that, don't you? There There were the Israelites, the church underage, as we call it, who would say, Well, you know, I was born a Jew, I've never known a day that I didn't attend synagogue. I was circumcised on the eighth day and it was raining. I was catechized every Sabbath. I attended and heard Isaiah opened and read and I've observed these things. But you didn't do them. You listen, you profess. But there's no doing. Don't be assured of your salvation, Jesus says. You, you've stood down here, you made a, a vow to join the church and you were baptized here as a child or as an adult convert. But these things ought not be your assurance. What ought to be a, the assurance that you have is that the Spirit of God is living within you and producing the fruits of holiness through you. You see, Ephesians 1 tells us, what is the seal? What is the seal that you will inherit the last day? That when Christ opens the will and testament, that your name will be there as an inheritor. What's the seal, the stamp of approval? The presence of the Spirit in the believer's life. And how do I know if the believer is there? Well, if the fruits of the Spirit are there. Love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and all of these things. I'm joining the church, and man, I've got gusto to serve the church. I want to see Christ glorified in every nation. I want to see Him glorified in Macomb. So I'm going to participate in the ministries of the church. I'm going to do things to, to see Christ glorified there. This is the evidence of the Spirit of God. I want you to take a moment with me to reflect just a moment on we're thinking about this as as an individual, but I want you to think just just for a moment, why does Jesus use the symbol of a house? Well, it does in a way reflect the way that a man constructs his life, putting up the rooms of his life. Some men will have Uh, the dining room over here and that's your hobbies and then you've got the living room over here and that's your employment and and some men construct their house and all these different rooms and one room over here is religion and Christ. But you see, that's wrong. Christ is the foundation upon which everything stands or falls. But there's another way to think about house. On the one hand, it refers to the orientation of an individual. But you know Because you've read scripture that throughout the Bible, the term house also refers to a man's household. Consider this, that the man who doesn't build his household upon the word of Christ may bring ruin upon himself and his children. When you read these words, rains came down and the floods came up and the house came a-tumbling down, you've sung that as a child. What's the picture? Can you think of an ancient picture of rains coming down and floods coming up? You can, can't you? It's Noah's Ark. You and I ought to see a parallel of the days of Noah. For 120 years, Noah went out, and he proclaimed the word of Christ. As a prophet of Christ, he went out and proclaimed salvation to the people. He preached, and he preached, and he preached. Proclaimed to them God's judgment was coming, but no one listened. And in the end, we should imagine multitudes running to the ark as the rain was falling upon them and the rivers were rising. They came to the door of the ark and they beat upon it, and God had closed the door. Judgment was here. How do I know objectively if Christ's words are authoritative in my life? Is Jesus teaching some sort of works of salvation to you here? No, that's never been the message of Scripture. God redeemed Israel out of Egypt, and He said, because I have redeemed you, now obey My law. Because I've taken you to Myself as My adopted people, now here's My law. Observe it and obey it. Be true to Me. Here, likewise, Jesus is telling you that if you belong to Him, You will do his words as a source of comfort because he is central in your heart. And so we can memorize Christ's words, we can meditate upon them, we can preach them, teach them, listen to them and read them. But if Christ's words do not change the way that you think and live, you should not say Christ is your Lord. Well, how do I do that, preacher? Well, one, give yourself to his word. We learn from Psalm 19, it makes the foolish wise. You don't require an academic degree to understand the word of God to his people. And when you read things like stop laying up treasures on earth, well, obey that and start looking to eternity. When you read things like stop being anxious, that should stop you right there and say, Lord, help me. I need more of your spirit. I need your grace to do these things. Give me a heart to love you When he says, stop judging, Father, I've sinned. I am a judge. Forgive me. Help me. When he says, blessed are the peacemakers, ask him to make you a peacemaker. J.C. Ryle says this, the day of judgment will reveal strange things. The hopes of many who were thought neat Christians while they lived will be utterly confounded. The rottenness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. It will then be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. We must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. Let us often think of that great day. You See what i saying? Think about the day of judgment. Think about it. Let us often judge ourselves that we be not judged and condemned by the Lord. Whatever else we are, let us aim at being real, true, and sincere. Wise men hear and obey Christ's word. And although they will suffer testing and judgment, it will not destroy them. That's the comfort. If your religion consists of nothing but a profession of faith, if there's no prayer, no study, no confession, no repentance, no self-examination, no love for and service to Christ's church, you ought to tremble to think of the day of judgment. In that day, your profession of faith will will be as worthless as Confederate money. Jesus ended his sermon in this way, warning, that many who heard him on that hillside would not follow him for long. And you know it's true. Most of those Jews turned away from him in the end. But Christ, in his mercy, warned them from the first. This morning, he issues a warning to you. Many will leave this sanctuary and not give a second thought to the content of this sermon. Don't let that be true of you. Not for my sake. This is not for Brian's ego. This is not for a congratulations, a sermon well done. This is because Christ wants every one of you to leave this sermon this morning convinced. I'm Christ's and He is mine. I possess Him by the Spirit of God. And if you don't, that you would make it certain now asking Him by His mercy to receive you as a child and to change your life. Make me a doer of your word, O Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about these words, we remember that we, we don't deserve any of them. We don't deserve a warning. You would be perfectly just simply to initiate judgment at this very moment With no word, no warning. Lord, we're all condemned. We stand before you condemned because of the sin of our father Adam. We own that so that we are guilty from birth. You didn't owe us a second word. You could have wiped Adam and Eve out at that moment. But you didn't, because you and your character and nature are gracious and merciful. I pray for myself, and I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, and I pray for those who aren't yet converted, that you would cause this word to bear fruit in our lives. That you would help us, by the grace of your spirit, to consider the end of our days. It is coming, for some sooner than others. Help us to consider the end of our days for the man who does that is wise and help us to build upon Christ. We ask for the sake of his glory. Amen.